I, I always considered and you know think of Return of the Living Dead as a, a dark comedy because man, we were acting our asses off. And what you really laugh about is uh, the situations that the characters got themselves into. You just couldn't believe what you're watching. Unbelievable. I remember watching it, the screening of it, and we're cutting off the guy's head, the yellow corpse, and I'm like dying laughing, but I can't watch it at the same time. So I'm like, oh, he's just laughing. So I've never experienced that in a movie. Hello, welcome to Spill Your Guts. I'm your host, Kevin Lane. It's not easy being a leading man in a genre that is primarily known for scream queens and masked maniacs, but Tom Matthews is truly one of the great leading men of horror. As Freddy and the beloved zombie classic Return of the Living Dead and Joey in its sequel, and Friday the 13th series hero Tommy Jarvis and franchise favorite Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives, Tom has managed the difficult balance of being both heroic and vulnerable in films that are often thought to be populated by stock characters. Tom and I chat about his experience on Return of the Living Dead, learning comedic timing from heavyweights James Karen and Clue Gulliger. His days running around Los Angeles auditioning while rooming with pal George Clooney. Making a huge rock made to drag Jason Voorhees to the bottom of Crystal Lake not look like it's made out of styrofoam. And his love of being creative not just as an actor, but also building houses for the who's who of Hollywood. One of the joys of hosting this show is getting to meet some of my own childhood icons, and Tom was certainly one of them. He brings a ton of heart to his work and plenty of brains. Sorry, I had to do that. The man, Tom, how are you, sir? I am swell. I'm trying to bring back that word, swell. Nobody uses it all the time. I use it all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's maybe it's maybe it's a Canadian thing. Hey. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's crack into the big guy, Return of the Living Dead, 1985. To me, Return of the Living Dead is one of those movies, like, it's, you know, the, the title is sort of appropriate because it's like this movie that, like, I don't, it'll never go away. It just, it's always, I talk to horror fans all the time of all different walks of life that some are slasher fans, some are this kind of, every horror fan, it loves and admires Return of the Living Dead. Yeah, it's an unbelievable experience. Great it's, little gem. It, it, it's crazy too because it's like you look at that film and you're like so many movies particularly movies that have comedy in them don't age well because humor changes right. so drastically well yeah our comedy was very it was very slight you know yeah in the office scene in the office scene with jimmy jimmy karen and i got blessed so um he was i thought he was Man, I thought he was overacting, doing this. You want to see him? See him? The corpses—they're in the—they're in the basement. Yeah. But what, I came to re- you know appreciate what he was doing later on because that moment kind of was the whole feeling of the movie. Okay. Yeah. And essentially, that was the the moment. So I mean, but I, I always considered and you know think of Return of the Living Dead as a. Uh, a dark comedy because man, we were acting our asses off. And what you really laugh about 
is uh, the situations that the characters got themselves right. into. You right. couldn't believe what you're watching. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. I remember watching it, the screening of it, and we're cutting off the guy's head, the yellow corpse, and I'm like dying laughing, but I can't watch it at the same time. So I'm like, oh, he's just laughing. So I've never experienced that in a movie uh, since then. Uh, so, I mean, it's just some great stuff. Dan did a smart thing. He had us all, Dan O'Bannon, the director, uh, had us rehearse for a couple of weeks before we shot yeah. it. No, and, except and for Clue. Except for Clue. Common on a horror. Yeah. Like, totally. Well, in any movie. Guys like Coppola do that kind of thing, but yeah, but yeah, not a common thing on a film. Unheard of. Yeah. I think he did it for himself because that was his first directorial. I think he did one other thing, but he, this was, he was really excited about it. Um, to do it. So and it was, it. it's funny too because you know your character uh, Freddie is kind of like you know he's this guy he's the new hire learning the ropes from right. from this guy and what I love yeah. about Karen's performance too is like you know you talk about that bit where he's kind of like the in the cellar and he's doing this and you're it, what's so great about it is like he's trying so hard to impress your character right he wants Freddie to think he's so cool because he's like this old guy trying to be like I've got all the inside scoop like and that plays so real to me everybody every young guy had that job where some older guy interacted yeah. with them in, in that yeah. way yeah. So it's funny to me because you're you're watching this movie that's you know it's gonna have zombies and it's like it's very tongue in cheek. But there's these little bits of real character business that are happening, and I think those that stuff grounds the film and is part yeah, of why absolutely. it resonates so much. Yeah, and I agree. Like when you were doing, when you first got this script, I'm, I did it read exactly how it ended up coming out, or did it read differently? Pretty much. I mean, we we improved a little bit. Like uh, I just. During the scene, I just threw in, like this job, like, you better watch your tongue, boy, if you like this job. I was like, like this job. <laughs> and that line is probably one of the biggest laughs in the whole film. You know, people have me sign that a lot at the horror conventions. I bet. Uh, so those little gems. And then Jimmy and I, because uh, we uh, most of our scenes were together with him. Oh, we found out in part two that we were born on the same day, November 28th, which was interesting. Uh, maybe that's why we, you know, paired off of each other so well. Yeah. But we would we would talk about it and and uh, discuss each scene and then change some stuff around. And we would always talk about Dan with Dan, the director. And you know, everything was up for discussion. Right. So it, I, as a young actor, having that experience, it was it felt it was truly a collaboration because I never heard no. You yeah, know, we always talked about it and we talked about it. And what about this? And so it was really exciting. You know, I, I didn't even have I had no idea that it was going to be a standout experience for me as I went on to do other things. But it, it still remains one of my uh, heartfelt uh, best experience of, of filmmaking ever. And had you seen like the, the Romero movies? Like, were you familiar huh. with the whole zombie? I saw the first one. And uh, Stancy Stokes was the casting director on the film, right? Correct. So I'm guessing you booked it just, you went on red and, and for Stanzi and was Dan at the, oh, right yeah, I went in red and then I went in red for Dan, had a call back for Dan and then it disappeared. It was like, God, I thought I nailed that. And then nine <laughs> months later, I get a call back, uh, nine months later. So I'm wow. like, what the hell? I thought this would have been in the can by now. Yeah. I want to, you know, move on. You know, you just, as an actor, you just never know 
it never makes sense why you don't get stuff and why you do get stuff to tell yeah. you the truth. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've auditioned and not get out of the part and don't get a call back. And then I'll do stuff where I was like, God, I wish I would have done a little bit better. And then get, get the job. It's just it's baffling. It just, you can't figure it out. So nine months later, I get a call back. And then, so I go to the call back and it wasn't a call back. I had been cast. I found out when I got there that I had been cast. So I was reading, with girls for, to play the part of Tina. Okay. So there's five girls that who are reading opposite me, and that's how I thought I got the part. Wow. So, what were your kind of first impressions of Dan O'Banion? Uh, got the part. Very eccentric, uh, quirky kind of guy. We we had several meals together. You know, that was interesting. Went to his house, uh, which he was. Um, he lived in Santa Monica at the time. I'm not sure if Diane still lives in that same house or not. That's his wife, childhood uh, or high school sweetheart at the end of getting married. Uh, but he was, uh, he took off all the plaster on the inside and was putting up uh, three quarter inch plywood and then um, was going to replaster it again because of the earthquakes. And plaster, uh, the plywood uh, solidifies the wall so they don't fall in. On him, and then I found out he had a bed. He said in his bed he had like a a steel cover cage, almost like a bed, because in case the earthquakes earthquakes were at nighttime, he would be protected. He could just stay in there. And then he got, I think he got also. I think he also put in bulletproof glass or something too. Somebody told me I can't remember who it was now that he was a bit of like a conspiracy theorist kind of. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Uh, Brian Hughes knows who told me that. Ah, uh, yeah, he was. Yeah. His mind is just uh, different. He, he died. He passed of some weird ailment. Like one in 10 billion people, you know, five, 10 million people get. It was, he wasn't that old. Dan, Dan wasn't that old when he passed away, was he? No, he wasn't. He wasn't. Very talented. Yeah, amazing. You know, he, he also um, co-wrote Alien yeah. as well. Yeah, and he was a, an early partner of uh, John Carpenter's. Yep. They went um, to USC film school together. That's right, yeah. It's funny, too, when I was looking at the film again. I mean, I've seen the Return of the Living Dead a thousand times, but I watched it again just to talk to you, and I was the, the wardrobe you had in that, I was thinking it's funny because I feel like that wardrobe now is something that you could get away with again. That, that Like that style is something I see yeah. people kind of dressing like that. That was all me. I put, that was my suspenders. That T-shirt. Uh, don't worry. Got that was uh, uh, I was modeling at the time, and that was the company. Oh. Um, I cut off the I cut off the arms. I said this would be a perfect for the for the character for Freddie because it looks you know very punkish. Yeah. And then uh, when the movie came out, I invited I invited the guys from the clothing company because they would hire me all the time. Yeah. To, to do some stuff, and uh, they were not happy. <laughs> you fucked up our clothes. <laughs> yeah. They walked out of the movie. They just didn't get it. That's so funny. <laughs> did, did that happen a lot with the movie? Were there were there people who just like just didn't get it? Just didn't land for them. The humor was too out there. Or uh, I didn't hear. No, I only I, I pretty much only heard positive stuff about it. Yeah. You know, although my acting coach, because uh, you know Milton at the time, you got to get a job. You got to get a job. You know, keep going. You got to get out of here if you're not going to get a job. I finally got a job and I invited him to go see the movie because he was like insulted because it was a horror movie. So, <laughs> I mean, at the time, you know, horror movies were, they weren't considered. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
the bottom of the, you know, low fruit. It's funny too, because you look at something like Return and I think it has kind of a similar quality to something like Reanimator with, with Bruce Abbott and Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that there's a, a similar vibe of a kind of a breed of, of 80s, yeah. kind of really beautifully pitch black comedies that perfectly balance the insane yeah. and the funny and the horror. Um you know, and, and and those two films, and it, it, I find it's like, if you're too self-conscious about that mix, it doesn't work. Was it something when you guys were shooting the film that Dan, you know, seemed particularly sort of cautious about was making sure that that balance of horror and comedy was, was well, was a well-managed thing? Uh, I have no idea. I mean, I was playing it real drama, drama. It was, yeah. it was a drama to me. Right. So he was uh, never like, saying, no, no, Tom, play it funnier, play it broader. Yeah. It's, okay. No, it's all in the script, you know, our reactions and stuff like that. It was all on the page. I mean, it's funny, too, because, you know, watching your, your work with, with James Karen, like, there's such a great chemistry there. And it, it is that, though. You guys are playing it straight. You're playing these two guys like these two dudes are, are in this situation. Yeah, I wanted to learn. I was eager to learn. And it was like a, a sponge, just soaking everything in you know my first day on the job and stuff and then i turn into a, a brain-sucking zombie the transition <laughs> for me to play that was great uh oh you, you have know, this great I, arc right i mean you start the film you're kind of this sort of you know oh shucks kind of new guy then yeah. you're then you're like this sickly like oh dying, dying the whole time through which is a lot of fun oh jimmy karen's uh death when he when he burns himself in the puts his ring, puts his wedding band on the crematorium uh, yeah. handle. That was all him. He chose that. It's a great bit. For him to crawl. Wait, he still had some kind of conscious mind. Yeah, in, inside he crawled in there and burned himself on fire. And, and that was his choice to do that. And Dan said, that's a great idea. And yeah, it's a great bit. And, it, yeah. you know, also, you know, we got to talk about Clue Gallagher, who, you know, just passed away, what, last week. Yes. Um, yeah, you know, a wonderful, great legacy as an actor, amazing, so funny in the movie. Uh, what what was it like working with Clue? Hated being there. He hated the movie. Really? Beneath him. Really? This was a role. You need, I think you needed the money, or I don't know. He was he wasn't at rehearsals. He was hired at like the eleventh hour, you know, and uh, wasn't happy to be there. You know. Uh, a lot was of dialogues under a lot of stress, you know. Was he surly? Uh, little surly, got in fights with Dan O'Bannon, throwing <laughs> shit at Dan. <laughs> but, I think Dan O'Bannon uh, said that, that Clue punched him once. Um, maybe. I wasn't with, I knew it through. I, see, I did see him throw something at him. <laughs> it's so Dan when you watch the movie, Clue is so great in it. And he, he is great in it. He really he's is. So like that bit where he where where he was he, grounded and solid and you know, he was like the audience, the point of view from the audience, what the fuck's going on? And yeah, and that, that he was, bit was, that he was bit like was, a runner, you know, he was kind of the solid uh Well and it's <laughs> that bit where, where he shoves the like whatever it was a crowbar or something through the zombie yeah. and you go the fucking brain like that is again one of the biggest laughs in that whole movie. Just he nailed it. He's, yeah, somebody cut the guy's head off, and that, that's where I got one, one of my biggest laughs. Yeah, the whole scene. I feel like, okay, and he calls me Fred. My name is Freddie. Okay, Fred. At one point, 
it kind of works for his character though right who's gonna okay buddy boy like this old buddy boy thing. yeah yeah do you think he kind of changed his mind over time about the film he absolutely did i mean he's the first one to tell you that he totally got it he, he saw the genius in, in the in the film after so many years of doing it. but while we were shooting on he was miserable <laughs> he had his uh like a film expo going on just nothing but him did you go to that no, I would have loved that. Yeah, that was amazing. Or maybe that was in on Hollywood Boulevard. We were all there. I brought my kid, you know. He was going to do a whole thing of him. And then he, everyone's there. He's, someone announces him, and he comes walking out with this seven-foot, it must have been two feet round, foam penis. What? And he goes walking down from the back of the aisle. He's carrying this big, huge penis, and he walks down, and he goes, my mother once said to walk softly and carry a big dick. That's great. That's <laughs> Instead great. of a stick. That's and then he had, these, he had these girls dancing. It was a little raunchy, and I got my kids the hell out of there. But <laughs> it was a huge personality, man. He was yeah, he was. Yeah. And whenever, whenever he signed something at the uh, his picture at the horror convention, I mean, he would just sign all over them, just face the whole thing. <laughs> it was like on somebody's poster or something. You just, I like, didn't leave any room for me. <laughs> when you, so when you were working with him and James Karen, were you know, yeah. were you as a young guy, were you like, hey man, like I can probably learn some tricks from these guys. These guys are seasoned pros. Like, was that was that fun for you to get to to sort of watch what those guys were doing? Yeah, it was it was fun. It was absolutely fun. Uh, I was just trying to keep my head above water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To keep up. And but, did, yeah, it was it was great. Did Dan talk to you guys about it? Like was it you know on a script level and and, and, and was there a conversation about the film being kind of a a punk anti-establishment kind of movie because it's so to this day it is it's that film, right? It's so Yeah, well that was that was going on in LA at the time. So Right. I mean, we there was a guy, a haircutter named Attila, and he did all the punk rockers. He did, you know, Scuzz's Mohawk and stuff like that. And uh, I, I, I got a, I had put a, a stud in my ear, and Dan was like freaked out about that because I showed up with the you know piercing. He goes, "Why'd you do that? Don't defame your body." We so could have done a fake one. <laughs> yeah, that's what we did. Exactly. Yeah. So, because oh, I was more into method, you know, I was, you know. You know, just trying to get in the character and stuff. I I got my head shaved and and had a little pigtail. <laughs> they didn't like it because I have a I have a, a crown at the top of my head. So so that's why I wear, I'm wearing the hat to hide my uh, crown on my head because I, I lost my good looks in the movie uh, when I shaved my head because I was going I was going total punk yeah for the character. Um, so it was it was a it was maybe an inch long and. Didn't like it, so we got the hat until my hair, my hair grew out a little bit. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's funny too, because at that point in the movie where you guys started to get sick and you end up going over to the crematorium, and then Dan Kalfa comes in and you're bringing in yeah. another badass character actor. You know what I mean? Like Dan, yeah. John Kalfa is so funny in that movie. He's yeah, so he funny. Is. Like the whole bit with like. Well, it's cruel, like when he's freaking out about the rabid weasels and stuff. Like, 
It's funny, too, because my mom, of, of all people, my mother is not a horror movie person. She doesn't like she won't she won't even watch my horror films. She like she, she just can't do it. And one time I was watching Return of the Living Dead and she sat down for it and watched some of it and she was laughing. And I was like, you know, this is a horror movie. She was like, yeah, but it's it's smart. It's not one of those stupid, you know, like guys. Right. And I was like, that is the thing with Richard. It is smart. It's a smart yeah. You yeah, know I mean, it's got it's got real right. bit and time. It is. You can you can you can watch you can tune it in halfway through the movie and just jump on that freight train and it'll be fine. If you know the movie, you know if you've seen it in the past and stuff, because it just it's just a freight train and the music's great and oh, you know, it yeah. just the opening yeah. sequence is great and and just. The, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. It's a great, yeah. a great movie. Yeah. Little drum. And, uh, <laughs> that that music true. plays in my head forever. Um, Do you want <laughs> that opening coming up out of the ground? Yeah, yeah. And of course, there he has the iconic image of Linnea Quigley dancing on the tombstone with the yes. weird, like, yes, know. all the boys love that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny because I, re I read an interview that Dan O'Banion said that if he had known that so many women uh, were going to love the movie, he would have got you to take your clothes off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, well, dodged a bullet there. When you did that scene where you guys are tackling the naked headless zombie, was yeah. that a guy like in a suit? Like what was, what? how was that? Or was it all a No, that was a real guy who did just, you know, they shaved his head and he was hanging in the ice box and then he came out and we tackled him. When we were cutting the head off, that's when it turned to a fake guy. But when he gets out, you can kind of see he's a foam guy after with his head. You kind of get that was a short guy with the thing on top of him. Okay. Was, if you go back and look at it, it's hysterical. He gets up and he's like running around without his head. That's a that's a foam. <laughs> that's a foam guy. Was it one of those moments? Like I've always thought, you know, one of the things I love <laughs> asking actors who do horror. And I, I recently I asked I, I when Jeffrey Combs was on the show and if you've seen any of Jeff's work with Stuart Gordon he's had to do a lot of these moments but one of those moments when you're making a movie and you stop because you're doing something fucking crazy and you think to yourself my job is different than other people's like yeah. I have to feel like when you're tackling some naked zombie you're thinking yeah. my job is different than other people's well, I get paid for this shit this is awesome <laughs> yeah. we're just playing like this job. Just <laughs> <laughs> it was fun so much fun when you had to do all this stuff where you were blinded by the acid like were you could you see or were you actually did you have to discover your eyes i could barely see i mean busting through the door going down the hallway i mean like i'm kind of i could see like a pinhole you know but i felt my way knocked some shit and went, went to the left um, I still have that actually. I've got the prosthetic still. It's in. I got it in the plastic bag. Yeah, that's one of the. Oh, really? I have. Did you take? Did you? Did you I take didn't. some uh, props from from Unfortunately. the? What did I take? If you if you had taken one hat? prop from that shoe, and, uh, that's about all I had. Yeah. I want to know who ended up. I with think the split maybe uh, uh, Brian Peck. He's got a huge uh, collection of horror stuff. And now, when you first saw the finished movie, what was your impression of it? What was your response? Uh, let's see. I remember seeing it in Westwood. The lines were out the door. It was a screening. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I surprised it, it was so funny. Honestly, yeah. 
but I, I, you know, I understood that we, again, that we were laughing because of the situations, because we, everything was so dramatic and we, we sold it that way. We left at the situations we got ourselves into. Do you remember kind of the period where you realized that Return Living Dead had come be sort of a, a, a genre kind of icon? Yeah, it wasn't until year, years later. Until, right. uh, until actually I started doing the uh, horror convention circuit. And I mean, just heartfelt fans would come up and I mean, how it, how it, impacted their lives and how much they loved it and i mean just hard i mean i've got people with tattoos all over the world with me on their bodies it's just like it's they just love it that's a trippy thing right when someone yeah. shows you a picture of your face yeah. or something on the their body poster on their back i mean they're dying scene where, where beverly's holding tina's holding me in her arms and stuff like that you know my yeah. that, one of those dummies the face tina <laughs> I remember, I was remember seven years ago. I was at a show, and some guy had me sign his shoulder in a sharpie. And then I got slow at my table, and went walking around. He's getting my, my signature tattoo on his shoulder before he so gets wiped off. I took a picture of it and sent it to George. I said, "I bet you don't have one of these." <laughs> <laughs> That's so great because the character of Freddie is a character now that like you'll you know that people will always remember you for like is that something that you know that, that must please you as an actor to have a you know you're lucky you get you got a few characters like that but that that's got to be a pretty great thing yeah it's pretty neat pretty great yeah and let's get lucky yeah. And I suppose I have to just give a proper plug here that Scream Factory is releasing a brand spanking new 4K master on October 18th. So everybody should go buy that. For the of what? Return Living Dead. Oh, no kidding. Awesome. Do you remember the first movie you saw that scared you? Uh, that would have to be, uh, um, shoot, The Exorcist. That is an old reliable. So yes. many people had the shit scared out of them by that movie. Yeah. My aunt had seen it, and uh, she wanted us to see it. So she brought us, and then she left without us knowing because she was terrified. Because when she saw it, she didn't tell us. She slept in the bathroom on the floor. She couldn't sleep in her bed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy how well that movie holds up too. I mean, it's yeah, it's it really is. Yeah, like, I mean, I think that's kind of you know, on some level, that's a testament to the power of a really great movie is is that kind of timelessness. Absolutely. For someone like because you you were born in L.A. and you and grew up there, like, do you think being in L.A. and in that sort of culture was part of what influenced you to want to be an actor? No, no. not at all. How I got started was a girl, you know, I was kind of out of high school, kind of floundering, not knowing what I wanted to do. Went through, uh, in high school, they have like a work experience thing and they try and pick out what you want to do for your, the rest of your life. And I, I could never, nothing ever like rang true to me. And then my girlfriend at the time suggested that uh, she just turns to me one day and she goes, why don't you become an actor? And it was, it was in that moment, you know how when you feel something in your gut, it was right. Yeah, it was nothing like that. It was like it was, it was nothing like that. It was literally like she took a needle and stuck it in my head. And it was like <sighs> I literally had a physical ex uh, ex explosion in my in my brain. It's like that's what I'll do. 
So I started studying, and I've always done building. And my dad was a contractor, builder, and also my grandfather worked for the studio. So we always had like tools around. We were always making stuff in the garage, you know, yeah. the workshop, drill presses and saws and stuff like that. So I've always done that. Still do it today. I've got a construction company, but uh, yeah. So then when she suggested that, I immediately started uh, studying, went to, got into acting class and didn't call myself an actor for a while because, you know, if you're not making money in my, in my world, you're not making any money or, you know, you, you don't call, that's not real, I guess. So until I started making some money, I started calling myself an actor, got headshots and stuff. And like, how, how old were you at that time? I was when I started like 22. Okay. 22. You know, when you were a kid, were you a, a movie kid? Did you did you like going to the theater and going to the cinema and seeing? I did. Yeah, I did. I liked I liked going to the movies. I liked popcorn. You know, <laughs> I think that's why they created movies with people so I could eat my popcorn. I like sitting there just eating the popcorn. <laughs> Even to this day, I always try and get popcorn. Did you have any like favorite actors that you kind of looked up to or that you were like, oh, those guys are fucking cool. Like they were just kind of your guys. Uh, uh, like Mickey Rourke, you know, and, and, and uh, like the movie Rumblefish, you know, kind of was incredible. Yeah. Recently, uh, 1917. Have you seen that movie? Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. <sighs> Crazy. Fantastic. So if you haven't seen it, go see it. It's just uh unbelievable tell me a bit about about your training and, and and what that experience was like for you uh i went to several acting classes but probably the last one i did was uh first started off with bill howie he was a uh, associate with milton casales in hollywood and that's where i met uh my good friend george clooney we were there we hated each other when we first met each other uh so and then we ended up doing a a scene together uh, and we became fast friends after that. Uh, and then we, after about a year in his class, we went to Milt Casales' class and uh, met Bill Forsyth, who's still a good friend. I see him a lot at the uh, convention circuit and stuff like that. And I remember Jeffrey Tamborn, as I was mentioning earlier, he was in the class and he would sub for uh, Milton when he wasn't teaching or when he was out or absent or something. And Jeffrey was an amazing teacher, very inspirational. Uh, Tons of people, uh, 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 you know, the list is so long. Mary Crosby was in there. Kelly Preston was in there. Uh, uh, who else? Bill Forsythe, I mentioned, I think. And uh, uh, Joe Santos was in there. Um, uh, Bruce Abbott from Reanimator was in there. It was always a full, you know, it was, it was two nights a week, and it was always a full... Uh, it was like doing a play and there was a full house every night. There was like 60 people in the class. And the level of work, though, was just un unbelievable. When Bill when Bill, uh, uh, Bill Forsyth would get up, everyone like was sitting on their edge of their seats because he was, he was unbelievable in class. Very exciting to watch him. Do you think that that time you spent in um, classes was, was uh, you know, formative for you as an actor? Like, did, did you? Oh, very much so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Really grounding and, and stuff. Uh, just meeting the relationship because the level it wanted, it, you know, the level was so high. It wanted you wanted to be good, and you saw what made it great was taking the moments and taking the time. And you saw the mistakes people made. There was one guy; he was a tall, six five guy, and he was doing a scene where he played a guy, but 
um, he was that guy walking in the freaking door, you know, he didn't have to act at it, but he did act at it. So it made, it took away from the part of him. So there's a lot of, a lot of lessons learned in, in that, in that, in that class. Really great. Funny, you know, you talk to some actors and they say, you know, I don't know. I didn't really take much from my classes. It wasn't until I got out and started doing commercials or whatever that I really learned my skill. Like oh, you they- learn, you learn the technical aspects of it. Right. Uh, Roman is really technical. A lot of it's really technical and you have to hit those marks and do those things um, and be na- and be natural and, and, and try and be creative at the same time. So, uh, like, for example, uh, one of my first movies was, big part, uh, was the Return of the Living Dead. So uh, when we, uh, when the zombie comes alive and uh, the yellow guy and we tackle him and we got to get him down, I needed to catch my elbow on the box that held the popcorn where we were packing the skeletons in to ship them out to students and all over the country from Kentucky. Uh, I had to catch my elbow and spill the popcorn so they could hide the wires to control the guy's mouth movements and stuff like that. So there's always that stuff, you know, and it worked out beautifully after a couple of takes, but uh, there's always something like that. And I just, I lo- looking at your resume, I saw that you did, you know, some soaps or then like Dynasty and Falcon Crest. Like it's interesting. I've had a lot of actors on, from on the podcast from from the 80s and and you know and then into the 90s even now and and it's interesting to see how many actors who work in horror started out doing soaps i find that interesting like i think that's an interesting do you think that has something to do with like you know on, on some level at least particularly in the 80s that that idea that you know horror was sort of a lesser feature film genre so soaps was kind of transferable yeah. no it was right there in the same mix my soaps were nighttime soaps so they were like you know, they're higher than the daytime soaps. Daytime soaps were a grind. Mine were filmed. Daytime soaps were video. And, uh, you know, it's day to day, much harder a gig, in my opinion, because you're not a fast study. Uh, you, you know, you rehearse during, you learn your lines during camera blocking, and then they shoot it a couple hours later. And there's a lot of dialogue, you know. Yeah. Um, daytime soap operas, like, uh, days of our lives back in the day. My grandmother would watch like for 30 years uh, as opposed to the nighttime soaps, which, which were on late, later on paper dolls and, and uh, Falcon Crest and, you know, all those dynasty. I mean, it's crazy to see how many great actors though have come out of the, the soap. Yeah. I mean, Oh, and the horror, horror yeah. genre too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, this is probably a less gleeful topic, but the second film or Turn Dead part two, you're not so big a fan of that one, huh? I wasn't for a long time. It, it, it it's it's a different movie, you know. Yeah. And I was really hard on it, and uh, didn't like the director so much. I heard, big that, yeah, the director yeah. Dan Wiederhorn, like well, he was there. He was he was working, but it, it's it's like he lost a bet. He didn't want to be there. You know, so, <laughs> I swear to God, he was freaking miserable. Hated doing it. You know, just he just uh, I took you know I told him I I said once you can be miserable and a talented director but you can't be miserable and an untalented director <laughs> yeah what's funny because like the second return of the living dead is like it's very confidently made movie but you know what it is and i had to i had to do a shift for, for myself which i did a few years ago and i had to look at it from because people love it 
you know? Yeah, right. Um, sometimes it's the first horror movie that they've seen. Right. I've heard that many times um, because the timing of it, and they were the same yeah. age as the kid or whatever, and they could yeah. see it. Yeah. So from that perspective, um, if you look at it through those eyes and through those lens, and then, uh, yeah, I get it. It would be a fun thing to to watch. Well, it's funny because I, when I was a kid, I saw part two first. And I loved the whole, and, and I grew up at that time in a new housing development. So I had this kind of thing in common. But I actually thought it was. Yeah, bicycle. <laughs> well, and I thought it was more scary than funny. It actually kind of freaked me out. But then years later, I, you know, when I watched the first one, I was just like, oh, this is way oh, okay. cooler. <laughs> yeah. Just because. Whatever that yeah. thing is in the first one, it's it's almost evasive. I mean, there's so many things about really the first one that yeah. lined really up, is. you know, to make it work yeah. the way it does that aren't yes. there. In the one. And I think a big part of that, I'm sure, is a director who didn't want to be there. <laughs> well, it's also the script too. They went for the gags. I mean, it was you know too over just, the top and just different. Yeah, you like that you Michael know. Jackson and Michael Jackson dancing is like okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty goofy. I mean, but it must have been fun to get to work with James Karen again. It was, and that's why I did it. Right. You know why we? You know why they brought us back? I heard that Fox they, made them. No, they uh, they had the script, and they wanted we we're going to make a sequel. So what you do uh, when you have a, a sequel from a movie, you try and sell it. At the time, you would not. I mean, the whole world is one now with streaming, but at the time, there was markets. There's like the Japanese market. There was uh, the European market. And those yeah. those were broken up to Switzerland and Germany and blah blah blah. So you would pre-sell it. So you would get some capital to make the movie. So Japan was one of them. It was a huge success in Japan. And they said, yes, we would love to give you some money to make the sequel, but please bring back James, Kieran, and Tommy. Okay. Because we were the the two favorite characters right. over there. Right. And so th that's when they approach us. And I said, I'll do it if James Karen does it. And that's where we came back. Do you remember when you were making the movie at a particular point, kind of thinking, I don't think this is working? Um, it struck a sour chord in me when Jimmy, at his age, which is my age now, uh, and Ken had him eating brains on his hands and knees. That right. was just, it was undignified for me to watch yeah. that. Because he had a, an illustrious career, you know, yeah. and it just it really rubbed me the wrong way at, at that point. And I read that it was kind of a shitty thing that Don Coffa didn't get brought back either, that he was up, that he auditioned and everything, and then they just used a different guy. Oh, I, I'm not sure. I didn't realize that. Yeah, the guy that played the doctor, Don Coffa. Oh, right, right. Don would have been great for that. Don, yeah. Don would, would both, both were Don's. Yeah. Yeah, he would have been uh, good. Yeah, he should have. And what I mean, that's funny to me, too, is like, it's one of those things where I'm thinking, like, from your perspective, getting that phone call of like, hey, we want to bring you back for return. Was your first impression like, how did you like you die? Yeah. The first yeah. one has a pretty conclusive yeah. ending. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's a character. Yeah, it's it doesn't really. And they don't it even make sense. It, no. And, 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 you know, they try to kind of get they kind of try I to get it, back. looking back. At, if I, you know, had all the money in the world, I probably wouldn't have done it. Yeah. But I. Needed a job, and you know, and I, I wanted to, you know, work together with with Jimmy again. So that was, uh, that was, you know, we were friends at that point. After we found out, we did the the movie uh, part two. 
we found out, as I mentioned earlier, that we had the same birthday. So we would celebrate our birthdays every year after that together. And, he, he wasn't. He didn't live too far from from where I live. So and that was. Like, uh, have you? And so it sounds like you've kind of made peace with the movie. Like you don't. You, you know. You've because it has its fans. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have made peace with it. I have made peace with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like when you're at a convention and people come up, like you know, what's the ratio of of part one fans to part two fans? Oh, ninety to ten. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, I would have. I would. I would assume as much. I think the words out there that I didn't really care for too at the time. Right. We got to crack into Friday Thirteenth now. Here, uh, Part Six. Jason lives. Uh, my favorite of the Fridays. Um, Filmed that a year after Return of the Living Dead. Only a year apart. Really? Oh wow. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's crazy. You went right from one huge horror film on. Crazy, this. right? And then I remember auditioning. There was. Three other guys were at Paramount auditioning. Uh, Tom, there was a lot of people in the room. Tom McLaughlin, the director, was one of them. I couldn't tell you where he was sitting because it was like all a blur at the time. But I asked him if uh, me getting, doing Return of the Living Dead had any influence in me getting the part for Jason Lives. And he said, no, I, I didn't even know that was even out. So, Oh, really? I guess it wasn't a discussion. So independently of each other. I landed both that's parts. interesting. I, I totally would have yeah. thought that after the success. Yeah, so did I. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, and you're playing, you know, what is now a very iconic Friday 13th character, Tommy Jarvis, who'd been played, what, twice prior to you? Twice before, yeah. Corey Feldman, and I'm trying to remember the Tom name. Shepherd. Yeah, yeah. It was great as well. Yeah, uh, Corey was great in, uh, you know, part four. Fantastic. Did you go back and watch the work those guys did to play the character? I did, but see if I could like bring some mannerism into my role, you know, to see if there was anything that they were both doing that would, you know, cross over uh, into the part, but I didn't really see anything that stood out. Some kind of twitch if they were both, you know, something. The character in part five is much more kind of psyched out and like kind of just the PTSD of him in that one is more intense than it was and because the tone is right. so different in, in Jason Liz, right? It's like, yes. you know, and having yes. seen the previous films, when you read the script, were you, were you like, oh, wow, they're going a really different direction here because it's a much more cheeky movie. Yes. And I was scared, actually. I saw, I saw part five and I was like, oh, my God, what did I get myself into? Because I, I wasn't a big fan of the film. No. Between you, between you and I. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's quite a few people that feel that way. <laughs> so I was uh, scared about what I was getting into. Then I talked to Tom. We had a conversation. because no, it's going to actually have lighting, and it's going to no t-shirts, no wet t-shirt contests, and stuff like that. So well, and I think I think it's probably the most well-directed Friday film. Like uh, part yeah, six. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, it has characters. I mean, you know, and it has yeah. relationships, and uh, it has relationships, and there's you know, a hint of romance that, you know, you hopefully can see to fruition. I mean, there's hope, there's uh, optimism in the movie. It's not just slash and dash. And, we actually you give know. a shit about the, the people in it. And so many- yeah, Exactly, because there's, char there's character development. Yeah. yeah, and so many slasher films, it's just like, oh, yeah. how are they going to get killed? Like, that's the only thing you're interested in. And then, of course, there's- You can't wait for them to get killed. Well, exactly, yeah. And then, in, you know, and then- there, <laughs> there's also humor and a he's lot behind of, the door 
<laughs> right yeah don't go upstairs you fucking idiot um yeah yeah i mean in part six has like all these great gags that really land too like i love that paintball sequence and like you know the whole james bond opening like these you know yeah that opening sequence was amazing just so great and then you know tom mclaughlin the director he's a huge horror fan he's had all these you know things i mean the lightning bolt was from Frankenstein. Yeah, total total universal monster homage. Yeah. There, yeah. And then Bor- Bor- the, the Karloff supermarket where I'm on the phone booth trying to get a get, get Megan to come get me or yeah. the warn them. So I had all these little things in in at least in there, which was well, cool. and it's, Tom's- it's crazy too because Tom McLaughlin did this thing that's like you know it really is important to note that and Kevin Williamson, the the writer of Scream, has talked about this that it was kind of the first meta sort of horror film that kind of made fun of the genre itself that that kind of winked at the audience about the tropes yeah. of those movies was when you read the script did was that something that you went oh wow that's so cool that, that they're doing that here no i i when i read a script i i read it and then whatever uh wherever my i'm thinking about it i'll kind of make a note of it emotionally yep so that's kind of where I go. I don't really look at the, I break it down, you know, emotionally in the script um, uh, to, to advance the story and then try and do the background of where the character came from and where he's been and where he's going uh, to kind of tie it all together. Like, because especially in a scenario like this, where you're playing a guy who, who, as we said, was, has been in two previous films. Yeah. There's kind of a continuing arc there. But but in this film, yeah. you're kind of, you know, you you did kind of get to do your own thing. Was there something for you that you wanted to bring new to, to Tommy Jarvis? Uh, no, not necessarily. This is Tommy. When I played that, you're probably the closest to myself as a character, because I, I can I, I always consider myself a character actor done a bunch of right. characters and, and different things and uh freddie was definitely a character i mean i wasn't even close to a punk rocker you know but i i have had girlfriends and i've i have had friends in my lives and uh we did some outlandish things uh also in in, in uh friday the 13th part six so you just put yourself in that situation and 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 so you know tommy wasn't that much of a stretch from who i i was uh at the time. Yeah, and you didn't have to do any of the like the martial arts stuff that they did in the film prior when he's like fucking flipping people and stuff. Like Yeah, your guy was because I was I was taking martial arts at the time. Really? Yeah, I've done some martial arts movies. Yes, well you've done we're gonna yeah, yeah. Albert Pune you've been worked yeah. with what eleven times. Match and, yeah, a bunch of bunch of them. Um what was the most challenging sequence for you in, in the film? Uh, I'm gonna guess the lake stuff with the with Jason. It was it was challenging for a number of reasons, and also uh, the fire, the the ring of the fire, uh, that got a little too heated. I wasn't happy with the 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 guy who was dealing with that. I would have jumped out of the boat and just strangled him because he was like <laughs> me that my eyelashes are getting burnt and shit like that. Oh, I was in the water. What time of year were you shooting at? Uh, what time of year? Yeah. Um, it was probably late, probably September, October. And where did you shoot that, that was in Georgia. Was it cold? Covington, Georgia. It was, uh, it was starting to get, the weather was starting to roll in. I remember 
because we had some local hires there. I think the camera the camera assistant was a local guy. Yeah. Because I re- I distinctly remember, um, in a scene we were in the forest and he was starting to cover the camera. I was like, "What are you doing?" Because oh, it's going to rain. I said, "But it's not going to rain." It's, it's, it's and sure enough, three minutes later, it rained like I've never seen it rain before. Yeah. I mean. The drops were huge, yeah, and just trenched, and then it stopped. It was like a tropical rain just passing through, clouds passing through, and then you then we went on, on about our business. So uh, it's probably late September. I have to look. I I have all the call sheets still, so I, I could look it up. And I did ke- I did keep a lot more stuff uh, from uh, Jason Lives than I had prior. I, I even had a, I was into photography, so I have probably a hundred behind the scenes. Personal photography photographs. Yeah. When you made the film, did you think that there was a, a, a like? Did you think you'd get to play Tommy again? I was hoping so. I thought yeah. I was hoping Part Seven would be a direct sequel. Right. The continuity yeah. of the franchise is just all over the place. all over the place. All over the place. Yeah. You know, yeah. 3D and out in space. What happened was, I think what happened was, I don't know this for a fact, but Whatever was the blockbuster that year, the 3D, they would, Paramount went and made a 3D movie. If it was out in outer space, I mark my words, the blockbuster for that year from Warner Brothers or Universal was out in space, and then they just kind of piggybacked that. It was one of the first movies I ever worked on was Jason X. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I was yeah. just so pumped to, you know, get to work with Kane and get a mask. And who, I'm yeah. trying to remember who played Jason and Jason Lives. Who was the actor who played him in that one? DJ Graham. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was great. He was great. He was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he was awesome. It's we're, funny because. Good. good friends. He, oh, really? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. The, now, he doesn't play. Did he? Who plays? Well, let's get into this proper. So, you've. It's, what's really cool is you've gotten out to go on and do. You know, Tommy and what is it? Three now, uh, fan-made Friday films. Uh, three fan films, yeah. I did yeah. Uh, Never Hike Alone, and then the prequel Never Hike in the Snow. And I brought back uh, the deputy because he was in the jail. He's now the sheriff in Never Hike in the Snow. I brought him back in, um, and then we're going to be doing Never Hike Alone Two. Do uh, I was go- actually even Tuesday. To go up to Portland to, op- to do the teaser, which is the uh, opening sequence of Never Hike Alone 2. Uh, and then we're going to shoot, because of scheduling, in 2023. But there's still an Indigo Go-Go a campaign going on. If anyone wants to get their name in the credits and stuff like that. And then I was also in the video game, which is creating a whole new demographic of fans because... They can the gamers can be like from eight to thirteen, who honestly shouldn't see the movie, any of the movies, <laughs> but as soon as they, get, they can do the game, play the game. So I do, uh, you know, meet those kids at the conventions too as well. So that's been and a it's lot cool, of fun because I like I watched all the families and like they're really well done. Like these are not you know like guys with camcorders. Like, they're great. I got involved in it because I they had already shot half of it and. Uh, Barry J asked, got, we, we met through mutual fan friends and we had dinner and, uh, because he was a huge fan of, uh, Friday the 13th. 
And then during the conversation, he told me that he was executive producer on a fan film and wanted to know if I wanted to be involved in it. And I'm thinking, oh my God. <laughs> really at the bottom. I'm thinking in my mind, but I was being nice. And I said, yeah, sure. Send send me over the script. He goes, well, we've already, they've already shot half of it because they've been going up every weekend and shooting stuff. I said, great. Love to see it. And uh, had no intention of being yeah, a part thinking, of it. You're probably all. thinking, I'm not doing it. We're a fan film, man. I've seen fan yeah. films before. It's like you and I out there with our, yeah. you know, yeah, uh, yeah, like yeah. our cameras and GoPros and stuff like that, making our. Yeah. So, yeah. and then I saw the first half, it was like, yeah, let's do it. So we figured out. Looking back, I would probably have done, not been the paramedic. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been at the paramedic. I would just spend Tommy Jarvis out in the field, just watching everything and then. Saving the kid and taking off in the in the ambulance. But taking him to the I think it's really cool, one, that you did it because like not a lot of actors who who have been part of a franchise and Yeah, but it's a fucking fan film, that's why. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like I think I think that's changing a bit because some of these fan films Well, I think because since I did it and it got a huge response. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's only probably close to four million views on YouTube, and that's I mean, if you multiply that by 10, that's, you know, $40 million at the box office. So it's got some weight. And Never Hike Alone set the bar for fan films way up here. Yeah. I mean, it's the production value is amazing. The story's great. Yeah. The kids in it, the kid, Andrew's great in it. Uh, uh, you know, and it's topical. It's topical. He's got a GoPro. He's, you know. Yeah, I remember watching it and having fairly low like expectations yeah, it's gonna great. Be a fan thing and then i watched it and i was like they fucking knocked it out of the park like this you know, someone give this guy the next friday the 13th movie like yeah exactly you know yeah, and and i think that's kind of you know i don't know if that's the idea that was it to make it a calling card but it sure is a, a good one because he, they nailed it no he's just a vincent is just i mean he's like an encyclopedia for the franchise i mean he could tell you anything about it uh uh and we're you know what's happened what's going to happen and he's really invested in the franchise and he was just a, a huge fan and 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 always wanted to be jason because he's a big guy he's like six yeah. three six four and he played jason in, in it and that's was a childhood dream i mean he would get a lake where he grew up at and you know jason lives was the, his favorite and you know, but always practice and always had dreams about 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 that. It was a you know, so kudos to him. And then we ended up meeting and we found out where I where I would fit in and, and uh never hike alone. Was it easy for you to just like slip back into playing Tommy Jarvis? Like is that a character yeah. you just carry with yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. Because you because as you said, you feel like of a- yeah, the closest I've uh been to. Right. The closest to me, a character I've played. And we were talking a bit about, about all the films you've done with Albert Pugh. And, you know, when you worked with a director 11 times, yeah. I believe, was the count I saw. You must develop a hell of a shorthand. Is that part of the yeah, and It was Albert so Pugh? much. I mean, the creative license that he allowed me to do. Uh, for example, there's a movie called Down Twisted. Uh, he gave me the script, wanted me to be the, the, the bad guy. And the guy was, you know, dark hair and 240 pounds. So I started, I was at the, way, at the gym, like... Twice a day, uh, old school gym here in Studio City called Vince's Gym, uh, where all the bodybuilders went. I, I was eating and stuff like that. I dyed my hair dark, 
you know, black because that's how it was scripted. And it was like, that doesn't look right. It didn't, it didn't <laughs> match my coloring. So then I bleached it out. And I found a really cool blue suede jacket and I had a cap in my teeth and, and I had all these rings, just kind of scuzzed the guy out a little bit, bleached hair. I didn't tell Albert. I just, I just went down to Mexico where we shot it and I just showed up on the set and I said, he's like, who, who? I said, the Mollus. He goes, fucking love it. So that's what we ended up doing. So it was a, it was a fun part. And it was always like that with him. It was just uh, whatever he could bring. I think that's why he, he kept hiring me is this because I was creative and kept bringing these different twists on what he had written and to make it, you know, more interesting. I mean, I'm particularly partial to Nemesis yeah. where I thought you were just fucking kick-ass. I loved you in that. Yeah. But, but uh, do, do you have a particular album, pure movie that you did that you're, well, that you're like, particularly well, fond of? Well, there are of? great, but uh, like Down Twisted, Mean Guns was really fun. Great cast. Um, uh, yeah, if you haven't seen that, it's a very watchable movie. Ice T's in it, and a um, bunch of people. Uh, yeah, Ice T, and the script's not so great, but it's a very watchable, entertaining movie. You know, is there? If you ever do, if I'm always curious when I is there ever a film that you did that you look back on now and you're like, what the fuck was I thinking with that one? Yeah, uh, Return of the Living Dead. There's some <laughs> moment. Seriously, there's some moments that I would have changed or would have grounded myself into my body more. Like like this job, it's a higher tone. It's almost a screeching sound that I just, it rubs me the wrong way now. I would have grounded it more into myself. I've done that with other parts, like uh, the t one of the soaps you were talking about, like uh, uh, Paper Dolls. Yeah. Um, I was doing a scene and I didn't have any dialogue for a couple of, and then they brought in this, my, I was, my character was in, it was in uh, college. And so I had a roommate and we, you don't rehearse in TV. So uh, the guy came in and his voice was way up high. And so for some reason I matched it and I just kept that going and it just, it wasn't the right choice. It was because I was really grounded and and you know my psychoticness of because I was a I was a stalker I was chasing the models around right. I was a character you know I wasn't a model model good looking guy it was like like a John Hinckley type character yeah in, in the in the show so I was stalking the models because I was obsessed and and wanted to get to them and uh, so that that's kind of yeah I mean you live and you learn I guess but yeah return of the there was a movie you did, and I'm trying to remember the name of it. I think it was a TV movie. Brad Dourif is in it. Um, Antonio Sabato Jr. Oh, yeah. is the uh, lead. Eyes White, something Eyes. Yeah. If, if Looks Could Kill or something like kill. that, I think it's. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember seeing that on TV and being like, when you popped on, I was just like, hey, it's Tom Matthews. This is fucking great. Because like, Brad Dourif, I love Brad Dourif. He's great. But it's funny because you have this like, you know, kind of, I think it was a Unsolved Mysteries production or something, but yeah. it had like th three or four different like guys who have done a lot of genre work in it. Wow, yeah. I did the Rock Hudson story too. Okay. And Andrew Robinson was in it. Yeah, he was, I was a big oh, fan of his. Great. He's great. Or Dirty Harry, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The villain. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Character. He was in a lot. My friend, I had, a, I had a, a friend who was half black, half white. He was on a swimming team. 
He was 6'5". And I remember we were at, at our, hair, our, our hair salon and Andrew Robinson comes in and my fucking friend, he got up and he charged him because he was going to kill him. And he got like six inches from him before he realized that he was a character that he had just seen in, in Cool Hand and in, in Dirty Harry. He was going to kill him. <laughs> That's how good of an actor he was. It's funny, too, because, like, you know, you've done a lot of different kinds of films. You've done dramas and actions and horror films. And then, you know. Yeah. Uh, George C. Scott had the honor of working with him. Oh, you worked with Scott. Uh, oh, tell me about that, man. I'm a huge yeah. fan of George C. Scott. Mr. President, we shot his stuff first. Yeah. We had our scenes together. And we would shoot his stuff first. And they would turn around to, to shoot me. And then he would leave. So I had to shoot my stuff with a stander or something because, you know, it's five o'clock. I got to, I got to, he had to be out of there. That was, he was older and he had a contract and stuff like that. Right. So I was devastated because that had never happened to me before. But my character was, uh, I was a secret service guy, a young secret service agent. And I was um, delegated to hire, to follow his daughter around. Okay. And we kind of, have a little romance going on. Is this and that a, was not cool. This was a TV movie. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. It was a series. Mr. Oh. President. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I remember when Scott did yeah. Mr. President. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. And uh, so we had a our scene, and then he ships me out to go go guard uh, a lady, uh, uh, one of the exes, uh, one of the president exes, older older lady, um, I think Lady Bird. Uh, Johnson or something in Texas. And she's like, you know, at the time she was like, must have been nineties. That's so cool. It's one of the fun things too. Like, you know, it's funny. Like when when both doing this this show, you know, and chatting with you and other guests, but also for me as a director. Like, I directed a movie that I had um, William Sadler and Tom Atkins were in the film, and yeah. and and they played brothers in it. And I was directing a scene with the two of them. And in between takes, I was talking to Bill Sadler, and and uh, and we were talking about the actor James Whitmore, who I'm a huge fan of. And, you know, he was telling me all these crazy stories about when they were shooting Shawshank and he was, you know, and Bill Sadler's like done a lot of movies. And he's like, but I was watching Whitmore and he was like, he was one of those guys that made it look so easy. You know what I mean? And I was just like, I'm always in awe of like those great character actors that like had these careers where they made like 200 movies or something like that. Yeah. James Cairn. Yeah. he. I remember he was good friends with Jason Robards. And he's, the stories that Jimmy would, as a young actor, because we got our makeup done together, and he would tell these stories over and over and over again, and and just phenomenal. Uh, Jason Robert, Jason came to the set a couple times. He he told a story. How, uh, Jason was in a play on Broadway, uh, and then uh, Marilyn Monroe was there in the play. Oh, wow. In the play, and she was in the first the first act and the fourth act. And Jimmy had seen the play, um, you know, a ton of times. And the bar was in Jason Robert's dressing room. Yeah. Oh wow. So Jimmy left in the third act to go go get a drink because he had seen the play a million times, and he goes into Jason's room and there was JFK doing wow. Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> they were both doing push-ups, you know. <laughs> and uh, Jimmy walked in on him. He goes, "Oh my god!" And he walked out. And then JFK gave gave Jimmy a, a lighter uh, that's had his this JFK on him, his initials on him, and there's exactly the exact same initials. That Jimmy Karen at JFK. So that was a pride and joy of his. But just the stories were fantastic. I mean, it was on, it was on Broadway, you know, Streetcar Named Desire and him coming yeah. up. And it was just phenomenal. So much fun. 
different actors have different experiences of like, you know, the kind of stuff that they find unpleasant to do. Some actors hate doing prosthetics, some hate doing, you know, action sequences or stunts or sex scenes or whatever. Like, is there a particular kind of, you know, in that ballpark, in that range of one of those things where you're like, oh, Christ, I hate doing this? I had, for Nemesis, I had a, a plaster skull on my face because my face opens up when I got a gun in there. So that was, that was uh, uncomfortable to say the least. And then um, the sex stuff can always get kind of dicey depends on how they shoot it. You know, yeah. it's always uncomfortable. It's like uh, an old time actor said to the actress, Pardon me if I get an erection, and pardon me if I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you ever do a film where you had to do like a sex scene or a love scene or something where you were just like, I don't uh, want to do this? Where you were like, oh man. Not that I can remember. <laughs> yeah. I was talking yeah. to an actor recently. He was telling me how to do this scene where it was like, his character gets undressed and 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 he goes into the room and the and the woman's there and they're you know about to make love or whatever but he has to kind of stand there for a good chunk of the scene undressed and the heaters were all broken so I, you know any man knows what that can result <laughs> yeah. and he was like it was the most humiliating thing i've ever been at a frontal it doesn't matter if you have the front the whole crew sees you anyway yes. even, if even if they're doing a butt shot you still, the whole crew sees you you know and you you did some modeling and stuff like that you know sometimes you get stuck doing pretty weird positions as an actor as a performer i remember seeing a love scene in a movie where i had to have these two actors move in the most bizarre way to get the shot right and we're doing and they're both leaving they're like this is so weird i was like we're gonna get this as quickly as possible i promise it looks good on camera just stay there (laughs) yeah exactly yeah exactly now one thing i want to ask you about is when i look at your resume what happened between 2001 and 2017? You disappeared. I had kids. You had kids. And my construction company just took off. So you just you just made a decision to put acting down for a while? You know, I needed money, so I had to, had to work because I wasn't making – it wasn't paying – look, I did three movies in one year and didn't make $60,000. And when you have kids and, you know, mortgage payments and stuff like that, you have to keep food on the table. And so – and the construction stuff was kind of taken off and just some high end stuff, you know, still do. Um, beautiful, one of a kind. Did the Osbournes uh, when they were on MTV, did that whole, we cast uh, Kelly's fist. That's uh, Sharon's daughter. Cast the hands in bronze and made them the front door hinges. So stuff, I mean, really creative and, and beautiful stuff. So stuff like that, all custom Custom stuff. Did you ever do any like production design stuff, like set stuff? No. Did you miss it for those sixteen years you're in? Yeah, I, I always missed it. Yeah, it's. Uh, it's a, I love doing it. It's a passion of mine. I love the creative uh, stuff. You know, because I'm, I'm very creative. Even when I'm building, I'm very creative, doing stuff. Uh, and and uh, the stuff we build. I mean, unlike acting, you can actually kick it and touch it. Yeah, and it's, it's real, you know, because when you get, yeah, it's very tactile. And because the acting thing, I mean, like I was saying, you, you, it just, you can't get a handle on it sometimes. Growing up, I remember just being desperate and confused and not knowing why I wasn't getting parts and confused why I would get parts because I didn't feel like I did a good audition. So it was just the mind, just mind. 
cataloging all the, the whole, do you think the whole it's, process. Do you think and it's good again, for it was, an actor to have, like, tactile. you know, aside from their work as an actor, to have something tactile like that, some a hobby or something? I think it's. I think it's. They have have a hobby, uh, have a routine that you fall back on because when you when you get off uh, when you get off a movie after six weeks, you got to have something to fall back on to that will keep you sane uh and a routine a uh, very important uh because when you're on the set it's not yeah. reality uh and you make friendships and you make promises and and to co-actors that you'll you'll see them and you want to hang out and it's heartfelt but life catches up with you and you know you have to feed your kids and you know do stuff pay your rent and you know stuff and like that. uh do you have any uh movies coming up you can tell us about I've got, uh, we did uh, Final Summer, which is, it's very uh, Friday the 13th-esque. Uh, it takes place at Camp Silver Lake instead of Camp Crystal Lake. So that should be fun. And then uh, a great script I love called Go Away. Uh, poster's great. Check it out. You can, uh, so that should be coming out soon. Go Away. And then... Uh, about three years ago, I did a Western called Warpath, where I had my first on-screen song, which I was terrified to do. Uh, and I tried to get out of doing the movie because I didn't want to sing it. <laughs> because it's, it's scripted, you know, just before the song, it, it says, it's scripted. Uh, I, I said, I told the director, I said, I'm not a singer. You don't want me singing your movie. Oh, no, it's very, it's very important. It's integral to the character. Okay. Your funeral. <laughs> it's scripted. Uh, what he lacks in talent, he makes up for an enthusiasm. Gotcha. I said, but no one's going to be reading that. It's not going to happen. <laughs> so that's how that's how I that's how I kind of played it. You know, it's a folk song, so um, I did it kind of charming, and you know, I was I'm a bounty hunter. The woman hires me. There's a lot of uh, traveling stuff because we're going to go. She hires me to go find her husband. So there's a lot of traveling. So we, we talk about this little slight romance going on. And she asked me if I wasn't a, a bounty hunter, what would I do? And I tell her I would, well, I'd be a singer. <laughs> oh, didn't you know I had a pretty singing voice? She goes, you do? I said, I sure do. You want to hear a song? And then I, I go right. the, she says, sure, why wouldn't I? So I instrument as well? No, it was a cappella, and we're just traveling. Okay. And uh, that was the first scene that we shot when I landed in, uh, we shot in Detroit. It was the first scene that was up, so that was it was nerve wracking, but it's fun. It turned out well. Well, I want you to uh, tell me if you will come back again sometime soon and talk about your new stuff when it comes out. Yeah, absolutely. We got you know we got Never Hike Alone two to look forward to, and it's going to be epic. Yeah, going to be epic. A lot of great stuff, and uh, maybe I'll hit up a lot guys of... that made it with you. We can run a trailer and do a little. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, a little bit about it's that. a song. Wallstone Films for sure. Because we want to do. We want to do a thing sort of talking about kind of the rise of some of these great fan films. There's a few of them coming up. And so yeah. I'd love to get you guys to come in and talk about that project. That'd be amazing. We could come on together. That would be great. That'd be awesome. Maybe we'll have a trailer uh, probably beginning next year. Oh, awesome. we could show that. We could show that and, uh, you know, talk about uh, the plans. I hope you won't uh, take any more extended breaks, Tom, because I want to keep seeing you in the movies, man. Yeah, no, it's been fun. I've been really enjoying it. I'm at a point in my life where I can 
afford to, uh, you know, do movies and stuff like that until yeah. one really hits or something. So well, we, it's been fun. We like we yeah. like seeing you show up. I mean, for me, it's like you know, there's certain actors you, whenever they pop up and something, you're like, oh, good. And and for me, you're one of those people. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Thanks All for right. having me on. Oh, thank you so much, Tom. It's been a blast. You've been listening to Kevin Lane Spill Your Guts with host and filmmaker Kevin Lane. Kevin Lane Spill Your Guts was created by Kevin Lane and produced by Cindy McLean. Production editing and sound design provided by Blaine Swanson and One House Studio. Video production and editing generously created by Matt Sampier. The Spill Your Guts theme and incidental music was created by composer Mike Haddon. Our supervising producer is Jason Hill. For exclusive bonus content, giveaways, and contests, be sure to subscribe to our Patreon account at www.patreon.com forward slash spillyourguts. All one word. Spill Your Guts is only made possible by supporters and listeners like you. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of Kevin's conversations with some of horror culture's titans of terror, as well as the many hours of bonus content, consider subscribing to our channel. But that's not the only way you can support what we do. If you like what you hear and you want more, get the word out to your friends, your family, random people on the street, retail cashiers, unattended children, the hot guy you work with, on-duty members of law enforcement, anyone with a pair of ears and a taste for the guts and gore of horror. This has been Kevin Lane's Spill Your Guts. Thanks for listening.